It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Yeah! What it do, baby? Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 746 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, July the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And you can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. Team-focused shows covering all of your favorite teams and all the big four sports as they get ready for sports, for baseball to return in particular this week on Friday. Friday of all of all days it's like three days away they don't have a plan the Blue Jays have no idea where they're playing but it's happening damn it and uh, we will be covering all of that on the Lockdown Podcast Network AJ Andrews does a great job with Lockdown Blue Jays if you're a Leafs fan Mike DiStefano uh, has you covered over there for the blue and white and of course last Friday if you have not yet checked it out you can go hear the Toronto Roundtable Sports Podcast Toronto Sports Roundtable whatever the hell uh, the order of the words there is supposed to be as we talked about the Leafs Blue Jays and Raptors on a podcast so go and check that out uh all right i'm gonna stop rambling off the top here because i feel particularly off the rails to begin here and i'm joined today to continue our nba season restart preview thingy as we go around the eastern conference and catch up on where the hell all these teams were when last we saw them because it's been a while and i forget how to watch basketball intelligently and i forget what all these teams were doing at the time and so we are wrapping up our trip around the eastern conference with the team that I feel like most people think is the most fascinating, at least going in to the playoffs and the restart and all of that. And of course, a team that the Toronto Raptors beat last year in the postseason in the second round in dramatic fashion. It is the Philadelphia 76ers. And joining me is someone who I learned today apparently has watched this game many times, I guess as a form of self-torture or something like that. It is our pal at Sixers Adam on Twitter, Adam Aronson from the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast and blog and all that good stuff. How's it going, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I think if I watch the game enough times, maybe the ball will bounce out at some point and we'll get an overtime. <laughs> I think Raptors fans also have that feeling when they watch that game, just assuming things are going to go Raptors-y on them. Uh, right, that was, that's what was, yeah. so, that was what so, was so weird about that series at the time is that Sixers fans and Raptors fans have, all, have been similarly tortured in that like – Everybody watching the game was thinking, oh, we always lose this game. We never win this game. But, you know, somebody had to. And, you know, congratulations on that being you. Yeah, that was a a very fascinating dynamic of two very, uh, you know, in their feelings fan bases, I would say. I will say shout out to the rights to Ricky Sanchez. It was really fun listening to that podcast (laughs) during the playoffs last year, uh, particularly after losses, because, you know, as again, as a fan of a team that has had a lot of 
heartbreak and toil. Um, it's kind of fun to wallow in that stuff a little bit. Raptors fans didn't have much chance for wallowing last year, though, which is quite nice. Um, let's move to this season, Adam. The Sixers were, you know, kind of pegged to be one of the title favorites out of the Eastern Conference. I picked them to make the finals. I think a lot of people did. I still think Joel Embiid, when he's like actually trying and healthy and all that stuff, is uh, truly horrifying as a player to go up against. Um, we know the insane numbers from the series last year, his on-off numbers, the on-off numbers from literally game seven uh, in the two and a half minutes that he was not on the floor. They lost they the were game mi- the Minus 12, minus 12 in two and a half minutes. Oh yeah, you don't got to tell me. I have that tattooed on my upper thigh. Um. And I, I, tweet, I tweet it about every six weeks and get like 40 <laughs> replies of people being like, why are you bringing this up? <laughs> Oh, isn't it fun to wallow? Um, but yeah. yeah, and the Sixers, I don't want to say they've been wallowing this season necessarily. They've had their moments here and there. Ben Simmons, I think, has kind of moved into all defense territory. Uh, when Embiid has been healthy, he's been excellent. It's just been weird. You, they signed Al Horford in the offseason. That has not quite worked. There's talk about maybe moving him to the bench, which would be interesting for a guy who makes as much money as he does. And, you know, it's just like a team that, like last year in a lot of ways, the fit is still strange. There's still questions about Simmons and Embiid. And they were particularly weird this year because they pasted teams at home. They were 29-2 and at home and then 10-24 and on the road and were, like, basically the Knicks on the road. It's wild. So let's, uh, let's get into it. Adam, where were the Sixers when last we saw them? How were they playing? Were they trending upwards? I know there was an injury they were dealing with as well. What was the situation when last we saw the Philadelphia 76ers play basketball? Uh, last we saw them, I mean, the biggest difference between then and now is that we were looking at Ben Simmons missing almost definitely the rest of the regular season and possibly the playoffs as well. He had a back injury in a game in Milwaukee when he, he had a back injury previously that had been lingering and the Sixers let him play through it because they were playing the Bucks. And in the first quarter, he landed wrong, was in apparently such significant pain that he was actually like vomiting in the locker room. Brett Brown said it was like the most horrific thing he had ever seen coaching basketball. And this is someone who's been the coach of the Sixers for five or six years now. So that, that is certainly saying something. Um, we were uncertain. Uh, Shake, Shake Milton is really the, if you're going to look at any one player as kind of a positive, it was Shake Milton. He, people probably remember when he scored 39 points against the Clippers. He was just going at Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and they couldn't stop him. It was kind of unbelievable. Um, he was a second-round pick, late second-round pick in 2018, and, and he has now asserted himself as a legitimate ball handler. He's a very good shooter. And, I mean, other than Jimmy Butler, the Sixers haven't had a guard who can dribble and shoot in, like, several years. And that's, like, a crazy sentence because how could you go so long without that? But uh, it's, like, changed the, the entire dynamic of the team just because they have somebody who – even if he isn't particular, even if he's not, let's say, you know, one of the 20 best point guards in the league, like having an actual NBA caliber guard who can shoot off the catch and take a pull up three is something that is like a luxury that they've never had. And you wouldn't mm-hmm. think of it as a luxury, but to them, it, it has been. 
Yeah, it, it, for you to mention that the Ben Simmons injury was the worst thing Ben uh, Brett Brown has ever seen. Uh, congrats to Henry Sims starting 57 games over two seasons uh, <laughs> for no longer being on the uh, on the on the hook for that yeah. distinction. Um, yeah, sorry, Henry Sims, you were just the first random ass process sixer that I could think of. So uh, <laughs> did not mean for him to get you know in the line of fire on this podcast, but it happened, so we'll deal with it. Um, yeah, the, the, so the Shake Milton thing is fascinating because he is now apparently going to be the starting point guard with Ben Simmons moving to the four, which, you know, it, it's interesting. It's been something that people have been calling for for a long time. I don't know what it, how much it really changes things, to be honest. You know, this is kind of what we saw last year in the playoffs as Jimmy Butler took over the offense and Ben Simmons was kind of in the dunker spot all the time. Um, that was, you know, interesting to see. And, you know, I, in theory, that was successful in, in a way. But that was with Jimmy Butler running the offense and not Shake Milton. And so, I, I mean, I guess the idea is like you spread that around between Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and Shake Milton, and you have enough ball handling between those three guys to work with Simmons not having the ball in his hands all the time. But with that move, Adam, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of talk about that over the last week or so. It's been kind of the big thing out of Sixers camp, out of really like anything that the NBA has produced news-wise that might be the biggest story in terms of you know impact on the court. Uh, so what does that mean for the Sixers? Do you agree with the move? Do you think it'll help them? What's the deal with Ben Simmons at the four? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to change an insane amount. Like, it just means that when Ben and Shake are in the game together, Shake will initiate offense, which really, for the most part, kind of just means he'll be bringing up the ball because even if Ben Simmons is your power forward, which is where I and many others think he should be, like, you would still want to be utilizing his passing and his court vision and run a lot of your stuff through him. But, I mean, it's exactly what you said. I mean, Ben is best used as a power forward for sure, and it seems like he's finally becoming accepting of that, which is a great sign. But the thing is, you know, Jimmy Butler's gone. It's, it's Shake Milton now. And, like, I like Shake Milton going into the draft. I, like, I liked watching him in the G League. I've loved seeing him develop this year. I think he's going to be a good player. But, I mean, they're asking Shake Milton to be the primary ball handler of a championship team. And, I mean, that's the spot they put themselves in now because they it took the, the Sixers, like, several years longer than it took everybody else to figure out that they <laughs> needed to play Simmons at the four with Embiid and surround them with shooting and ball handling. And, and when they decided last year that they were going to go star hunting, quote-unquote, they ended up walking into building a team that fit around them beautifully they had a lineup that crushed opposing starting lineups, even the Raptors starting lineup that ended up winning the title. And, and then they abandoned it. And now we're here saying, okay, like, let's say the Sixers make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, let's say, which is probably an unrealistic outcome at this point. But let's say they get there. They're going to be playing against someone who's about to become the two-time, the back-to-back reigning league MVP. And they're going to be saying, okay, at crutch time, Shake Milton is going to have the ball in his hands. And, like, as much as I like Shake Milton, like, it's a ridiculous ask of him. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a testament to where they're at at this point in terms of ball handling that's available. And, and they're, they're kind of, you know, they're not completely locked into this roster. They can flip some of their bad contracts for other bad contracts. But it's hard to envision a path to them having – someone who you can really trust as the primary ball handler on a team that can win a championship. And now they're, they're hoping on shake to, I guess, make another leap in Orlando and then another leap next year. And then another leap after that. And 
as, again, as much as I like shake, it's just not a realistic expectation. Yeah, that totally is, uh, I think, the right response to Shake Milton, point guard of team with championship aspirations as a news right. story. So, uh, and I can sort of sense the uh, the defeat in your voice a little bit talking about yeah. the Sixers team building. Uh, and we are going to delve further into the damaged psyche of Sixers fans and sort of where they're at heading into this restart in just a second. But first, I want to remind people that the Locked On Podcast Network does not just have shows covering Toronto teams. You can go and check out, for example, Locked On Sixers with Keith Pompey as he covers you over there. He's on the beat. He's there every day covering the Sixers. Obviously not Love in the bubble, but yeah, he's the best. He's been on this show before. Make sure you go and check out Locked On Sixers with Keith Pompey. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Adam, let's uh, sort of take a look inside the brain of Sixers fans going into this thing. You know, I think there's certainly in your voice, I sense a healthy dose of skepticism, but are Sixers fans generally excited about the return? Are there, what are the expectations? Do you think, is there, you know, maybe a feeling that, you know, with some time off to maybe just kind of like reset and refresh that maybe they can come back and kind of hit the potential that people thought they might have going into this season. What is the sense among Sixers fans going into the Disney bubble? The biggest thing is that people are really riding this wave of excitement about shake. And, and the idea that, that he can be this high-quality guard that allows Ben to play the four, and then it reshapes the whole dynamic of the team in a way that everybody had always wanted them to do. And, then, and you know, we, we kind of just talked about why they can't put that amount of trust into shape. But, I mean, you look at, like, he, he shot 51% from three since returning from injury and then getting back into the rotation like obviously you can't expect anywhere near 51 percent even if he is a great shooter which he probably is um so I mean aside from excitement about Shake Milton I mean people are generally excited which I guess is fair especially considering there hasn't been sports in a while it's been you know over four months now since they've seen this horribly frustrating team um I would say it's not a coincidence that people hated this team when it was actually playing and they've talked themselves into it when it's not. <laughs> um, at the same time, like, I think they will be better than they were last time we saw them because like, they do have a well-functioning guard, even if it may be a little bit of a fluke, and they won't have nearly as many minutes with Horford and Simmons and Embiid all on the floor at the same time clogging up the space, which just isn't tenable offensively. So I think, I think some amount of optimism is warranted in that I think this team will be better than the one we saw last time they played, but I don't think it's reasonable to expect them to be like a legitimate title contender. That's interesting because I think they like certainly have that upside. And I think, again, I've talked every time I talk about Embiid, I still have the, the, the memory of what took place in that series and the fact that he had the shits for seven games and still was the most impactful player on the floor, plus minus and, and all that stuff. Uh, wise and so I still am afraid of the Sixers and if I'm the Raptors like the the biggest fear that I have is sort of taking it too easy in the lead up to the playoffs and falling into a 3-6 matchup with Philly 
Um, you know, I, the Raptors, I think, would be slight favorites there, maybe just based on how they play this season. But I don't know if they should be, considering the talent on the Sixers and the defense that they have and the Raptors' struggles in the half court. It would be certainly tricky. I don't think the Sixers would necessarily score very well on the Raptors in the half court, but it would be a series that you do not want to play. Um, and with Victor Oladipo maybe, maybe playing for the Pacers here, there's a chance that the Pacers actually can kind of keep up and stay in that five, uh, five seed and keep the Sixers down in six. And so with that in mind, Adam, looking at the matchups and how they might play out, you know, they could play a lot of teams here. There's a world in which like both the Pacers and Sixers move up and the Heat fall down to six. There's a world in which they stay at six and play Boston or, or Toronto. Uh, there's a world in which they play a four or five against Miami. Of those matchups, what's the one that you and Sixers fans are hoping for the most? And which one are they sort of hoping they can kind of avoid? Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting thing. And I wrote about this in a mailbag piece a few weeks ago. If we were just saying in a vacuum, I would most, I would, I think Indiana is the most favorable matchup given, you know, the injuries they have. DeMontis Sabonis seems to have a foot injury. Who knows what's going to happen with Victor Oladipo? They lost Jeremy Lamb. Malcolm Brogdon's been hurt. And I think just generally they're the least talented of those teams, even though they are good. And I would and I would say Miami after that, because I just think the Boston Celtics are better than them. But uh, when I look at the way that I have chosen to look at it is what path gives the Sixers the best chance to getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that would be sticking in the sixth seed, making sure that you are worse than Indiana over these eight seeding games. It would be funny if, it was this team again that was tanking, but this time for playoff positioning. And you would have to play the Celtics in round one, which would be really tough. And I'm not even sure if I would pick the Sixers to win. I, I lean yes because of, you know, they don't have anybody who's even remotely capable of defending Joel Embiid. And he might just go for 35 and 15 for in a six game series and win with ease. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think their most reasonable path is if they face the Celtics and then the Raptors, as tough as that is, and I don't, like, I honestly don't think that they would beat those two teams in a row, but I think there's a much better chance of that than even if it was Indiana in the first round, which I would feel fairly comfortable with, and then Milwaukee. And and the Sixers had a pretty incredible win against the Bucks on Christmas, and Bede held the honest to, I think, two of 13 shooting when, when he was guarding him. He totally stonewalled him. And the Sixers just made a million threes, and, and they blew them out. And it was awesome. But, I mean, this Bucks team is a juggernaut. I, and, and even acknowledging that their offense has been notably worse in the playoffs, especially last year when, when the Raptors won those four games in a row that I'm sure you've talked about many times on, on this year's podcast. No, never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think what they should be doing is just avoiding the Bucks at all costs for as long as they can. And, and I get the sentiment of, like, you know, you're going to have to beat them anyway, so why not just play them earlier? But, I mean, I I really think they're good enough that, like, you should be putting it off in case, you know, what happens if the Bucs are finishing off their round two series and you're about to play them in the conference finals and Chris Middleton gets a knee sprain and is out for three weeks, and then all of a sudden you're playing a completely different Bucs team. If, God forbid, something happens to Giannis, like, they're, they're just too good to beat with, with their current healthy, fully formed version of this team that I would be, even, even though I kind of fear the Celtics and that they're a very well coached team. And at Sixers fans saw that up close in the two versus three matchup in 2018, when the Celtics won four to one. Uh, so you just run into a situation where 
I mean, this is the kind of difficult position they're in now where it might just make the most sense to, to try to hold out for that six seed so that it's their easiest path to getting to a conference finals against the Bucks. Yeah, the Celtics thing is so fascinating. I mean, we had Michael Pina on last week. Go listen to that if you haven't yet to talk about the Celtics and sort of how they're constructed. And it, like a Celtics-Sixers matchup would be so fascinating just because it is a matchup of really good fit and like well-oiled machine versus team that just has players that might be better than everybody else on the, on the team that is well-coached. Well-coached, well it makes sense. Whereas the Sixers, you know, who knows how well-coached they are. They certainly don't make a lot of sense, but... They have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, who might be the two best players in that series. And so it's, uh, it's really fascinating. I would like to see that series take place. I think I'm rooting for the Sixers to stay in the sixth seed as well, just because I think that would be a bloodbath. And I'm not as fascinated by like Heat Sixers as some people seem to be. That was a fun series a couple of years ago. That was like a cocaine series a couple of years yeah, ago. When amazing. It was yeah. like, you know, just like physical and angry and mean and yeah J- james elbowy. johnson just like pushing marco bellinelli into the crowd it was it was yeah. really a sight to see yeah like that was a fun ass series i just don't know you know as much as the jimmy versus the sixers thing would be fun and be kind of hilarious if jimmy was to beat the sixers sorry adam uh i, I just i know like- i would i would i would laugh <laughs> at this point honestly i'm so i'm so numb to the Sixers pain and anybody who talks with the, about the Sixers with me at, at, on any consistent basis is, is knows I'm going to say this, but I am so numb to any like Sixers shock. Like I predicted the Kawhi shot before it happened. <laughs> like I, all of this stuff, I just, I just laugh and I walk away, turn off the TV. Like it, I'm, I'm unfazed by it at this point because there's simply been too much. Might I suggest uh, leading more into your Phillies fandom and uh, leaving the Sixers behind? <laughs> well, I know the Phillies are well, also uh, a nightmare, but <laughs> you know, yeah, the Phils have not made the playoffs since I was nine years old, so it's a little <laughs> difficult there too. But uh, oh, you know, and man. I just, I just, you know, wake up every day, make the best with what I get. Hey, the the Flyers are good. They're they're one of the best teams in the East this year. Get on board with hockey and. Uh, Maybe this will be – I mean, the Flyers always choke it too. So, Philadelphia, um, <laughs> outside of the there Eagles. Boy. Uh, a- anyway, uh, we're going to finish up and talk about the Raptors and Bucks as potential matchups for the Sixers. But just a reminder that we got lots of great stuff on Lockdown Raptors over the last week or so. And coming up later this week, we got a lot more too. I'm going to do a podcast Friday after the scrimmage against the Houston Rockets, which i uh, very, very excited for. It's going to be stupid and bad and like probably very rusty but I'll jump on a podcast just like old times and do a quick reaction podcast afterwards. So stick around for that on Friday evening. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Adam. Uh, boy, the Raptors and the Sixers. Good oh, friends. Man. Here best we go. pals. Yep. This is a potential first-round matchup. I think it's a far more likely second-round matchup in the circumstance you yeah. laid out where it's Celtics, Sixers in round one. The Sixers outsize the Celtics to the point that they beat them. They ruined what was supposed to be the series of the playoffs, Raptors-Celtics, that everyone's been looking forward to for five years. Uh, and we get Raptors-Celtics again in a two versus six in the second round. 
in that situation, I kind of t- touched on it off the top. I think the Raptors maybe are slight favorites just based on their pedigree from this season and their just like overall resume. But I don't feel good about it. What do you think of a Raptors-Sixers matchup this year with no Kawhi Leonard and no Jimmy Butler involved? Yeah, I mean, it, I think weird is the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> um, I would I would lean picking the Raptors to win the series just because, like, watching watching up close how the Sixers just, like, lose whatever they play on the road. They play down to their competition constantly. They All these different, you know, weird Sixers-isms that they have that are just so, like, annoying to watch and, like, such red flags versus the Raptors who – lose Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green and then improve defensively. And like Pascal Siakam all of a sudden is shooting six threes a game and shooting 37%. <laughs> and, and they get, of course, they're the ones who get Terrence Davis. And I mean, a million like amazing Raptors things that they're known for and that have gotten them to this point. It's just hard to pick a team like the Sixers who are operating the way they are against a team who operates the way the Raptors do. At the same time, Joel Embiid is going to be the best player in that series by a significant margin. Mm-hmm. And that's even if Marcus Gasol kind of, you know, stonewalls him the way that he did for, for many of those seven games last year. Um, it should be noted that Embiid, you know, was dealing with knee issues and was pretty badly sick during most of that series. Um, at the same time, Gasol has always guarded him well and he has the requisite timing, IQ, strength, I, et cetera. To, I do seem to, to recall... Him. Sorry, I do seem to recall a point a game where uh, Joel Embiid scored zero points against Marcus Gasol this season. Just had to throw that in there for effect. Carry on. Thanks, Sean. I, I really <laughs> appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. That's great. Um, yeah, but anyways, I mean, you've you cited it before. I forget the exact numbers, but I mean, the Sixers were comfortably better than the Raptors for that entire series when Embiid was on the court. And that was in a series where their roster legitimately only had seven actual NBA caliber rotation players in it and and that's why the Sixers lost that series ultimately is because they had their five starters they had Mike Scott and James Ennis and then they couldn't find an eighth guy who could play Greg Monroe form Raptors legend NBA champion Greg Monroe actually damn right Uh, yeah and one um Greg Monroe uh was uh, was just played right off the court as you would expect Boban Marjanovic I love, you know, all the best of Boban, but, like, you have to be able to move from side to side to play against a team with Kawhi Leonard on it. Um, they couldn't find anything. And, I mean, this, this team's bench isn't, you know, it's not as good as, you know, the Raptors bench has been in the last few years. It's not as good as, you know, the guys that Milwaukee brings in off the bench. They don't have a DiVincenzo. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's capable. It's competent. They have, you know, several guys who can conceivably pitch in and, and give you, you know, even if it's just like six to eight minutes of competent play, they have guys who can do that. So with the combination of that and the idea that this is going to be a healthy Embiid, Embiid's never been healthy in the playoffs before, and this is him basically in early season shape, which is always when he's been at his best because he's had four months off. And even though technically it's the playoffs, he basically just had an off season. So in the past, he's entered the playoffs, you know, sometimes he's out of shape, Sometimes he's got knee issues. Sometimes he actually gets shit. He gets sick. And now he's actually hopefully going to, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, is going to enter these playoffs healthy. So with that, plus, you know, the bench being at least more capable, the Sixers definitely have a real chance of upsetting the Raptors. 
But I would say Toronto is probably the favorite because of what I was talking about before in terms of, you know, just like organizational structure, organizational competence even. Yeah, I think like, you know, Nick Nurse probably has an advantage over just about every coach in the East. You could, I guess, quibble with Brad Stevens or Eric Spolstra. But I think the Nurse versus Brown coaching disparity is probably the biggest of any of the potential matchups for the Raptors beyond the first round. I think it's obviously clear that Jacques Vaughn is not uh, exactly <laughs> scaring anybody with the Nets. And, you know, Steve Clifford's good, but he's not Nick Nurse. Um, and so, yeah, I think that coaching advantage is pretty real. But it's really interesting because because of the way these teams have changed, it's nowhere near the same complexion as last year's series and last year's matchup, right? And there's so many different sort of wrinkles that – kind of just wouldn't fit in to, to the, like last year's series. I mean, Pascal Siakam now shoots above the break threes. And right. I don't think you can have Joel Embiid just wait back at the rim for him and guard him anymore. I don't think that is a viable way to guard Pascal Siakam. You have to put someone on him in space. Is that Ben Simmons? And if that's the case, like then Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet aren't being guarded by Ben Simmons. And that creates interesting problems for the, the Sixers as well. And then you have, you know, the fact that, like, there's no obvious, like, there's no Bobons for coming in to save the Raptors in this series, right? Like, you have Al Horford, as disappointing as he's been, that's a more than competent backup center, and you're never going to have minutes without a good center on the floor if Brett Brown does this correctly. And that was, you know, again, we talked about it off the top, the key to winning this series for the Raptors. So, like, it's all very different. The complexion is completely different. I think it would be an extremely good defensive series. I think both teams would struggle to score. You might see some scores in, like, the 80s or, like, high 70s even. Like, I think it would be pretty nasty, but I think it would be a lot of fun. And, I, again, that's kind of a coin-flippy thing for me. I honestly feel a little bit more confident in the Raptors' ability to beat Boston than I do with Philly just because of the weirdness that Philly presents and the size they present and you know mb just being this sort of ever-present monster it it, it, it's just like a little bit more terrifying than boston's collection of six eight dudes who are all very talented and nice but you throw out a big lineup and i feel like you might have them checkmated a little bit so i don't feel terribly confident in a two six i'm rooting for boston to beat philly in the first round if they do play each other uh and if the raptors can avoid them entirely i won't totally hate it um in terms of uh, the Bucks, very quickly, Adam, before we wrap up here, you know, say the Sixers do make it to, to take on the Bucks in the finals. I still think a lot of the stuff that made me believe they could beat the Bucks is still in existence and even maybe a little bit more amped up because of how good Ben Simmons has gotten defensively. They just feel like they have a lot of horses to throw at Giannis between Embiid, Horford, Simmons, like that's, and even Harris, I suppose, if you really needed it in a pinch, although he's not a great defender, he's fine and big. Um, you know, it, it feels like if you're going to do to Giannis what the Raptors did to him last year, the Sixers kind of have the personnel I don't know if the Sixers can score on the Bucks half-court defense, which is very, very good. And I think it would require, like you mentioned on Christmas, the million threes going in on the side of the Sixers, which is obviously a tricky proposition when two of the guys you start are Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But, you know, how do you feel about that matchup? Is that something you think the Bucks, you know, the, sorry, the Sixers would have a chance to win? Or would it mostly be like a gentleman sweep type thing where the Bucks are just the better team and Giannis takes them down? I think it would probably be along the lines of a gentleman sweep or even like a comfortable six game series. I do think like, I mean, with all, with all the negative stuff that I've said about the Sixers on this podcast, and I said on locked on Pacers with Tony East a few weeks ago and various other mediums with all of that being said, if you told me that the Bucks wouldn't make the finals and I had to guess who eliminated them, I would guess the Sixers mm -hmm. because they, they have, I mean, I, 
I, in my opinion, the most capable player of defending Giannis, in, at least in the Eastern Conference, with Embiid, who, I mean, Giannis has scored on him a bunch, as he would to anybody, but the Bucks' offense has not been nearly as good against the Sixers in the half court because of how good Embiid is against Giannis because he can't be overpowered the way that a lot of guys are. And, he, and Giannis can't, you know, just dunk right over him because Embiid is taller and just as long. Um, I think without question, the Sixers would need, you know, to some extent outlier shooting from, from three-point range in order to win that series. And they might need the Bucks to have an outlier shooting series in the other direction. But I think when you just look at it defensively, you have Embiid on Giannis. That's just about the best you're going to be able to do defending him. And then you can put Simmons on Middleton, who, I mean, Chris Middleton, I, get, I would imagine that you and your listeners know it at this point, but a lot of people don't realize is like quietly one of like the very best offensive players in the league, like truly ridiculous shot maker and scorer to have a guy with Simmons's length and size and IQ and athleticism on him is like Middleton's still going to get his as he always will, because he's that damn good. But Simmons is, is just about the best guy you can ask for on Middleton, you know, sans the, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard types. So, so you know, again, the Bucks are a juggernaut. I would be fairly surprised if the Sixers beat them, even with all that being said. But because of those reasons, I think they probably stand a better chance than anybody else. They're a really interesting team. Uh, they get going against the Pacers on August the 1st. They play the Pacers, Spurs, Wizards, Magic, Blazers, Suns, Raptors, and then the Rockets. And I can't say that's the most difficult schedule in the bubble for any team. So maybe there's a chance that they they move up to that, even like the four seed with the Heat having a very tough schedule, kind of akin to the Raptors. You know, again, we don't know what these schedules actually mean with who's going to be trying yeah. hard and who's not going to be. Especially with the yeah. – yeah, and I would I would make the point that especially with the Sixers who – have consistently played down to competition all right. year. They 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 blew out the Heat. They've blown out the Lakers. They beat the Clippers. They've beaten the Raptors. They've beaten every good team, every great team. But I mean, they have the second easiest strength of schedule according to ESPN, and yet they're five and nine against the teams that they put <laughs> against those teams. And that's like that's the conundrum of the Sixers is like what what are they? Nobody knows ever in any regard. And it's so hard to cover them. It's so hard to talk about them. Um, I, the hope would be that this time off gives them some sort of renewed sense of urgency that Mm -hmm. leads them to, you know, not put their guard down when they're, you know, like in Cleveland playing the Cavaliers and all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, we're down 15 and there are only three minutes left. Um, and so hopefully they can bring that and they, they do play the wizards. I think twice, I might be wrong about that, but, they, they, their schedule is favorable in that it'll be a lot of teams who, who might just be punting those games and, and it might just be their hand at W's basically by forfeit. Um, so they could climb up in the standings for sure. And I would, I would predict that they'll be in the four or five matchup just because it's the Pacers with the Oladipo, you know, questionable nature of that situation. Plus with Brogdon now, plus with Sabonis who has been so good all year and now, seemingly can't put weight on his, on one of his feet and, and hasn't been able to practice. Um, it's going to be tricky. And, and that's, I wouldn't want it any other way because that's uh, it wouldn't be the Sixers if it wasn't <laughs> weirdly tricky in a way that would make me have to explain for going on two minutes about why it might be bad that they have the second easiest schedule. 
Well, Adam, we may have no clue what we get from the Sixers anytime they hit the floor, but we know exactly what we're going to get from you every time you jump on the podcast. And that's wonderful, <laughs> self-deprecating, beautiful analysis, all that great stuff. Adam, you are great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people check out your work? And do you have anything you'd like to plug in particular? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Sixers Adam. Easy to remember. I'm bad at naming things, hence the uncreative <laughs> username. Um, rights to Ricky Sanchez.com is where my writing is now. I write a weekly column called normal column poking fun at Brian Colangelo and his, uh, infamously abnormal collars. Um, and so, and I guess Raptors fans know about that as well. Nice. They certainly do. Yeah. He's, uh, he's our dear friend, Brian. Hey, if you, Hey, if you ever want to, uh, want to talk about Brian Colangelo, please have me on. Well, Please. I think you just made an idea for an episode whenever the next uh, uh, pandemic yes. happens. We'll have to do that. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, I'm going to plug something specific. Um, it's my pin tweet at Sixers Adam again. I wrote a very long sort of retrospective of the whole Brian Colangelo burner gate situation um, that starts with his resentment about Masai Ujiri and, and how <laughs> Ujiri is, is so widely respected and, you know, he called. He has a tweet calling Masai Ujiri like a trust fund child, which is just amazing that that was coming from someone with the last name Colangelo, um, who was hired by his father. Uh, anyways, I have that up. It's very long and detailed. I think Raptors fans especially will enjoy it. Um, it will make you feel even more grateful to have Masai Ujiri running your team if you needed another reason. Um, yeah, that's all I have to plug. Rights to Ricky Sanchez, uh, Only Sixers Podcast, and Sixers Adam on Twitter. Fantastic. Uh, everyone read that Brian Colangelo thing and laugh and point at Brian Colangelo. Why the hell not? Um, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. It is very much appreciated when you do that. A couple things on tap for later in the week. Our pal Yasmin from over at the Dishes and Dimes podcast is going to join us on Thursday. Uh, we're going to start answering some pressing questions facing the Raptors. That is a tongue twister. I'm going to have to change the name of that segment. Either way, Yasmin's going to come on later. We're going to do a recap podcast right after as well on the Friday night. Just myself, probably. Maybe I'll get a guest on. We'll see after the scrimmage against the Houston Rockets. There's basketball this week. It's crazy. I don't, I don't know how to like, compute it. It's weird. It probably shouldn't be happening, but we're going to get excited because the Raptors are worth getting excited for. And that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.